I'm done with that. And that was a decent sermon also. <laughs> Background music, all the good stuff. So now it's now it's Abraham's turn, right? Last, um, was it September or October, do you know? Last October, there was an event at El Cavario United Methodist Church downtown where, where we partner with them and hosting asylum seekers and, and trying to help make asylum seekers' lives a little bit easier for a couple of days. And uh, there was an event going on in the parking lot down there, and I was down there hanging out and um, met Abraham Sanchez. And I don't even remember how it happened, but I know you were the one who initiated a conversation with me. And as we started talking, I realized that he um, is a community organizer with an organization called New Mexico Cafe. He'll tell you more about the work that they do. But I was immediately encouraged because when I was in seminary, um, the first year I was in seminary, I did sign construction work. And it was awesome. I got to be outside and work in the cold of Denver and 60 foot like lift. And it was, it wasn't awesome to be really honest with you. But the second year, um, towards the end of the first year, I took a class about community organizing and kind of fell in love with this idea that people from all walks of life and all backgrounds can come together to work for the common good and that there are people who help make that happen and they do it within churches. And so um, I applied for a fellowship and was awarded the fellowship and that paid for my salary to work as a community organizer for a while with, an, with the same network that, that Abraham works for but in Colorado. And uh, so when I met him, I was like, oh man, I, I kind of know what you're about. You're probably way better at it than I ever was. And, and he did what community organizers do and like set up a coffee discussion. And so we went and we've done that several times. And I just want to say like, there are people that come into our lives that we can have conversations with that every single time we're changed. And I want to encourage you to enter into conversations with people looking for what you can learn and how you can change, not the other way around. Because I think too often we, especially as Jesus followers, step in through conversations thinking that we're going to change people. When the reality is the spirit works in, in a mutuality where we're open to learning and, and growing. And, uh, and when I sit down with Abraham, I always go knowing that he's gonna say, well, the question I wanted to ask you today is, and then it turns out being this long conversation. And uh, so as I started thinking about who could I ask to come and talk to us about how they see the world and the church that they dream of, like not just Morningstar, but the church, um, I immediately thought I need to see if Abraham would be willing to come and share with us. And so um, he's, uh, courageous enough to step up to um, in front of you all who he knows a few of you but doesn't know very many of you at all to share some of his life and his faith and his dreams. So uh, please welcome my friend Abraham Sanchez. Really well, we get along really well. We had a great conversation. 
I did not know until very recently that you're not a fan of the Rookie of Dumbass. That did cut a little bit. How many of you like the Rookie of Dumbass? Okay, good. Talk to us. No, and I want to make sure, um, I'm glad I get three chances to do this today, but there aren't enough time that I can do this. I want to thank Pastor Ross for opening up this space for me to come in and do this today. Um, I am just as challenged and blessed every time I get to be around Pastor Ross, actually probably more than him. Um, when I approached him, I went to that event last year, and I didn't know what I would find there with this event, having to do with voting and elections and things. Um, and I used to do work in that area, so when I went there, I asked my boss, I said, what do you want me to do? And she said, just walk around, meet people, find out who's there. And so I remember I saw Pastor Ross, and he's taller than me, and I remember he's like, so say hi to that guy. And I went and I shook his hand, and I started talking to him, and I've been blessed ever since that day. Um, a little while ago in the, the worship of one of the songs, the Breakfast Love song, talked about um, shadows being lit up. And I feel like that's exactly what you've been able to do for me in my life, especially considering my faith journey. So thank you again for trusting me in this space, and thank you all for trusting him to trust me with this space today. I definitely appreciate it. So, David, no. Just smile and nod. Um, no, th thanks again for having me here. Um, as he said, I work for an organization called New Mexico Cafe. Um, we do faith-based community organizing work in Las Cruces and throughout Southern New Mexico. Um, we work to change systems and policies that are in place that affect people. We work for social justice in the world around us. Um, so New Mexico Cafe is currently in its 10th year. And I'm in my 10th month as a community leader. So um, I'm going to share with you here just in a second exactly what the work is that we do. And it might be a little counterintuitive for you to hear. Um, sometimes I meet with people and they think we're going to talk about politics or the president or things like that. Sometimes that's where the conversations go. Um, but that's not quite what I want to do here today. That's not quite how this work is actually done. Um, so what I want to do with you is the work that we do is deeply personal. We believe in the power and the centrality of your what is your experience? What is your story in the world? What is the pain and the power that you've experienced in the world? And so I'm going to talk with you a little bit about that and what it's meant for me in my own life. Um, then I'm going to try to maybe make some connections to the life of Jesus and what that meant for him. Um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the work that I actually did. So, um, can you still hear me? Yes. Okay. I almost feel like you can, but okay. Um, so I'm going to share with you the story of how I get to this place, right? Um, how do I end up here? Because if Ten years ago, if you would have told me that I was going to be, even ten months ago, if you would have told me I was going to be in a pulpit speaking to a congregation, I would have laughed and said, you lost your mind, and I probably lost my mind if I agreed to do it in the first place, right? Um, but I'm going to take you back to the earlier parts of my life. So I'm born and raised in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I've been here my whole life. I don't know any better. I don't know any worse. I love it. If it gets better, please don't tell me. Um, I am the youngest of three, so I have an older brother. He's four years old. And I have another older brother. He's my identical twin brother. He is one minute older than me. Just one minute. But like I tell people, he has made sure to remind me as much as possible throughout my life just how much that one minute means. Right? And so he's my big brother. I'm his little brother. And I, I don't mind saying that at all. But, um, so when I was born, I was born and raised in the Roman Catholic faith tradition. So when I was an infant, I was baptized. Um, when I was a young child, I made my first Holy Communion. But by about the time I got to high school, I had more or less lost interest in religion or going to church all the time. Um, so I didn't really pay that much attention to any of it um, until the end of my first year of college. And at the end of that first year, I actually went and I got a job at a small retail store here in Las Cruces. And very early on, within the first 
first couple of days of me working there, I realized that the people who owned this business and who worked in this business were very, very devout evangelical Christian men. Um, and they were incredible. Uh, I am very fortunate to have been able to spend four years working there with these men. Um, just great integrity and character. Um, awesome, and they were very impressive in the faith of what was most impressive. So within about four weeks or so of me starting to work there, I had made a decision in my own life. Um, I will never forget, and it dates me a little bit to tell you, but it's been about 16 years ago to the day, um, that, almost to the day, that I knelt next to my bed in my room one night, late at night, and I prayed a prayer. Um, I prayed a prayer to God, and I told him that I understood that I wasn't perfect, that I had made some mistakes in my life, that I would probably continue making some mistakes in my life. Um, I told him that I, I understood that he didn't intend for me to live this life to trek through this world alone, that he wanted a relationship with me. And so I invited Jesus into my life that night. Um, I asked him to be my Lord and Savior, to lord over every decision as much as I could let him do it. That I would yield to him all the time, every minute of every day I wanted to know him, to love him, and I wanted other people to know him. Um, and so perhaps some of you have had that experience, and it's a profound one. For me, up until that point in my life, it was the most transformative thing that I had ever experienced in my life. And so every day I would get up and I'd walk outside and I'd look outside at the world, and I really did feel like there was this shell that had just fallen off of me, right? The Bible talks about being a new creation in Christ, and I felt that. And it drove me to want to go out into the world and show people, what is this change in me? What happened? What's different about me? And I got really excited. Um, and so I very quickly, I joined a local church here. Um, I joined a Bible study, and sometimes I got to lead that Bible study. Um, I learned to play guitar in church. I, did, um, I taught Sunday school as well in church. These were... Really fun experiences for me, actually. When you sent the kids off a minute ago, I remember I got to be sent off when I would go, and it was exciting. Um, but no, this was an incredible time in my life, but there was still a problem. There was something that I, I, I didn't understand. I had never really fully made sense of. Um, and the reality for me was that even though I had made this big change and started going to church and everything, there was something different about me that I didn't fully know how to make sense of. See, since the time I was a young child, my mom used to tell me this story, this narrative about what my life would be like. And she said, you know, when you're that small, all the boys and all the girls, everybody has cooties, right? That's what they tell you. And I felt that. And so I remember talking with my mom, and my mom told me, she said, well, you know, right now it's like that. She says, but someday you will actually begin to actually like girls. And then you will meet one who's really special and you like her a lot. And then you might fall in love with her. You get married and you'll have a home and kids and, and this wonderful life. And I thought that would be my life. But by the time I was about 19 years old, a part of that hadn't ever really started for me. The liking girls part didn't come. It didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand it at all. And in fact, when I really thought about it, from the time I was in middle school through high school and even there starting college, I realized I actually liked my male peers in my classes. Right? That was very different for me. I used to think about them and I thought that they were handsome and charming and I wanted to get to know them and I didn't understand how to make sense of that at all. And so there I was in this, this church where I thought, well, I've heard, right, very traditionally the idea is that homosexuality is wrong. This is not okay. This is not what God did. And so I thought, wow, what if that's true? What if that's the case? And so there was one day at a church service very similar to this one day. At the end of the church service, there was an older gentleman who I knew him and everyone respected him a lot. His knowledge of the Bible was incredible. And I thought, I'm going to ask this man, what does God have to say about this? And I remember approaching him after the service and I said, what is, what is the deal with homosexuality? And there's no way I was going to tell him 
why it was such a deeply question, personal question for him. But sure enough, when he replied to me, he gave me, I mean, he quoted it word for word, all the verses, right? Anything from Leviticus to Romans and anything else about why it's wrong, that God is very clear about this. That's not what he intends for me. And so for me, I thought, wow, okay, well, that settles it. I guess this won't be my life. I can't have this. This is not of God. And so I, I'm just going to leave it alone. And I didn't know what else to do about it, actually. I just kind of ignored it as much as I could for a while. Um, and finally, towards the end of that year, I went to a conference in Denver for Christian college students. There was over 2,000 college students who were all going to this conference. And on the last day, we had this big group session where a speaker came in. And I thought, wow, what are we going to hear from this guy? You know, I had never seen him before. Um, he worked for an organization in Colorado that dealt with sexual orientation and gender identity studies. And so this man, his name was Michael. And the story that he shared with us was the story of how for 12 years of his life, he lived a very open, out, and proud gay life. Everything from relationships to gay bars to gay pride marches, he did all these things. Um, but by the time he got to his late 20s, he had realized that he believed his faith was calling him back, saying, you know that's not the way that this should be. And so for this man, he actually engaged in this four-year-long process of prayer and Bible study and counseling and therapy. All these things were the story that he shared with us was how he had changed his sexual orientation. And he told us he introduced us to his wife and showed us his two kids that he had. And I was just blown away by this. I thought, my God, this is amazing. And I remember thinking at that time that that would be my story. That would be my testimony. I remember thinking at that time um, that someday I would stand in front of groups like this and I would share that story and talk about how powerful and transformative Christ can be in someone's life to even change something like sexual orientation. And so for the next couple of years, I started this process of um, going to conferences and reading books and keeping a journal and um, this very prayerful, very therapeutic process of trying to identify how did this happen? How does this happen in someone's life that they end up having same-sex attraction? And then how do I change it, right? And the problem was that no matter how hard I tried or how much I studied these things and looked into it, it didn't work. It does not work. That is not the way that we're created in the first place to have something like that change. And so I remember it became a very troubling, very depressing time for me in life because I constantly felt like a failure. I felt as though the reason that I couldn't change was because my faith was lacking, that God was disappointing in me all the time. I used to pray at night next to my bed and ask God to remove this from me, that I will do anything. I will deal with any other sin temptation you put in front of me, but not this. I can't do this. Take it away from me. And I'd wake up the next day and nothing had changed. And I would just feel awful because I thought it was something wrong with me that caused it. So after a couple of years of doing that and beginning to be really depressed, really bitter, um, eventually I became really bitter with even family members, even with my father. Because this kind of false narrative we tell people is that the reason this happens is because you had some problem in your relationship with your same-sex parent. For me, I was led to believe that there's something wrong with, with my dad and the way I was raised. And it made me very bitter and angry towards and so after about two and a half years of that, and also beginning to research things on my own, especially much more modern psychology research, right, I started to understand that maybe this isn't true with these people that told me, that that didn't necessarily have to be my life. And I also began to understand, and I can say it now, and I'm super proud to do it, my dad didn't do anything wrong. Neither did my mom. 
their reasons. They did everything they could. It wasn't their fault, it wasn't my fault, and there's nothing wrong with it. And I can live my life as who I am. So since that time, it was right before I was gonna be 23 years old, I decided I'm gonna go out on a limb. This is terrifying. I don't know what it means, but this is my life. I'm going to start telling the world that I'm a gay man and that there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what I've done. But I have to be honest with you, and I've told Pastor Ross this before, that since that time, really what I did with Otto was I figured, okay, well, I'm just gonna leave God over there. I don't know what he really thinks about this, but I don't believe whatever those things were. And I'm gonna stay over here, and we're gonna stay away from each other. And the thing is that's really interesting about God is it seems like, at least to me, that he won't stay away from you, no matter what you want to do. Because I didn't plan to meet Pastor Ross that day. I didn't plan to have the discussions that we planned to have. I didn't plan to be speaking here in a church that is in the midst of a really big debate, a big disagreement about this very issue, right? Um, and yet it happened. So what I do at this point in my life, and it's the reason I got up super early this morning, I'm telling the folks in the last week, I've never been to church that early in my life. The reason I got up super early and wanted to come into this space is because the world that I want to live is a world where closets don't exist for any reason. It is an incredibly traumatic and damaging experience to live in a place where people can't see you and can't know who you are. As we speak right now, my former pastor, and I love him dearly, I still look up to him a lot, but he is in another place in the city right now, probably delivering a powerful message, and yet he doesn't even know this about me. He never knew me in the five plus years that I went to that church. And that is awful to me to think about him. So to be honest, I do not accept the world that is like that. When I think of the greater church, I don't accept a church that's like that. What I want to live in is a church where closets don't exist for any reason, not just for sexual orientation, but for all the reasons that people are made to be invisible, that they're not seen, that we push them into the fringes. And if you think about Jesus, that's what his entire life and ministry was about, was the people who are not seen, the people, the, the people we throw away, the people we say are not worthy of God's love. Right? And so that is why I do this work. So what I want to do with you, though, is there are two parts to how I do my job. And I like it because it's actually fairly simple. It's not that complicated. Um, we do two things. We share our stories, our powerful stories. But then we talk about how does that inform the world we want to see, the church we want to have, those kinds of things. I don't just want to tell you those stories so that you say, well, that's sad that that guy had to experience that. And people don't. That's not where it ends. The idea is we don't just stay in a painful place. What we do is we transform pain into power in the world to address systems and policies and entities that are in place that say people aren't worthy. That's what we do every day. So what I want to do with you is, is I often think about my job as an organizer and I think about the life of Jesus and what he did and I think, what can I learn from him and the way that he conducted his ministry? And, and what can that mean for how I work as a and so I am going to read just a little bit for you from um, the book of John, the Gospel of John. Um, I was sharing with you earlier service that the Gospel of John was the first full book of the Bible that I ever read. And I'm glad it was, and it made sense, because it's powerful, right? It's just this incredible story and the way that it speaks about it. But I'm going to read from the first chapter, starting on verse 35. I'm only going to read seven verses until verse 42. But I'm going to draw some parallels between what Jesus what happened with Jesus and his ministry and the work that I do. So this is the story of how the first disciples were called to follow Jesus. Um, and Jesus himself didn't actually call them. It was John the Baptist and Peter's brother. So I'm going to start on verse 35 with this says, 
The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist had his own disciples with him. But as Jesus is coming by, he actually testified to the divinity and to the idea that this is the Messiah. This is the one they told us about. He told them this. Okay, and he said, Look, the Lamb of God. In verse 37, it says, When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher. And they asked him, Where are you staying? So I want to make sure that I point this out is that Jesus, and he had this really interesting way of doing this all the time, where um, people would ask him a question, and oftentimes he asked them a question back. The thing that Jesus did that was great, and I'm reminded all the time, is this is actually what my job is. He put a choice in front of me. Um, my pastor my church used to say all the time that God is a gentleman. He leaves the choice to you to make. He will make sure you have the information and understand the choice, but he will leave it to you to make. And that's actually what happened here. As Jesus was actually asking, he said, what do you want? Really what he was asking is, what do you believe about me? Who do you believe I am? And they called him rabbi. They basically told him they believe in him. So later on after this, in verse 39, Jesus told them, he says, come, he replied, and you will see so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Then in verse 40, it says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means stone or Peter. So, the reason I share this with you, and I think it's fascinating, is that this is very similar in a lot of ways to the work that I do. My job is not to make a choice for anybody about the church they want to have or the world they want to live in. My job is, number one, to bear witness to the ways that people are hurt in the world around us, and my life is just one example of that. But it can be for a number of different reasons, whether it's the color of someone's skin, their gender, their religion, whether they have a disability, and any number of other reasons that we deem people unworthy, right? My job is to tell you my story and hold it up as a mirror for you and ask you, do you accept that? And ask you to think about all those things that happen in the world around you and to ask you, do you accept that, right? The second part of my job, though, and this is really important, this is the most important, is not just to ask you whether you accept it or not, but it's to beg a deeper question, is there actually something that you want to do about it? That's the crux of my entire job, is very often we tell people, if you think about politics and structures and governments and all these things, the word someone unfortunately is often very, very transactional. This is how politics works. This is how we're taught to function in our society. But the way that New Mexico Cafe works is we believe in breaking all the rules. That song that said reckless love, to me that's powerful, because I want to know how do we love recklessly? And because recklessly what it means is you turn over tables tear down structure. You dismantle false narratives that say things like gay people are evil or they weren't created that way. You tear down structures that say that because of the color of someone's skin or because of the fact that they trek thousands of miles across deserts to seek a better life or because of someone's gender, whatever it is, we get to wreck those things. That's what I want to do. That's what I'm about. That's what this work is about. So in this space, um, Obviously, it's my hope that when you leave here that you feel blessed and 
edified by the things that I have to share with you today. But what's most important to me is that if you hear me talking and you think about the church that you want to have, the world that you want to live in, and you think about this question of what does it mean to build the kingdom of God, right? We said it earlier. We said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when you think about what does that really mean, that's the question that I want to put in front of you. That's the choice that I want to put in front of you. And so if you feel motivated to talk about these things more and find out, I could talk to you for hours and hours about the on-the-ground work that we do every day in New Mexico, and I hope that I have the opportunity to do that with you. But the way that we begin doing that is it's not just my story. This is a room full of beautiful people who God created, who have pain, who have experienced power, maybe the power of God in your life. You've experienced tragedy and triumph. And those are the things that we actually work on, is I want to talk to you and get to know those things. And then what we do is we figure out in the same way that Pastor Austin has done, is how do we figure out what he wants to see in the world and what he wants to see in this church here and what I want to see in the world, because I don't necessarily come to this church, right? This is not where I find myself every Sunday. But through that dialogue, we figure out what can we build together. I think you explained community organizing perfectly in the beginning, talking about how you take people from different walks of life, different stories, different perspectives, and we come together and we figure out what is the world we really want? And if we can move together, that's the way that we actually get this done. When I look in this room right now, and I want you to know this when you leave, every single person who's in here, I see you. And I want to know every day how much to love you and how we can love together and build things on this earth. And so if your intention when we're done here today is to come and tell me that you enjoyed what I had to say and that you were blessed by it, I definitely appreciate that. But if you really appreciate it, what I would love is for you to fill out a form back there that gives me some contact information and then I can go. And believe me, every day I'm challenged in this work. If you've challenged me as much as I've challenged you, I want you to know that. But that is the plan for anyone in here as well, is to continue to challenge ourselves. How do we figure out what love really means? And love is God. How do we really understand that and what it means for this world and for this church to be? Thank you again so much for allowing me to come in here and share that part of myself. I hope to hear more from you. Pastor Ross, if you have anything else.
and we have to make sure that we maintained at all times this appearance that these guys are just two guys who live together, and that's all that it was. And it's amazing to me to think about. I, I, I it hurts me to think about that because at the same time, we used to go and we would give rights home to his coworkers. He used to do construction work, and these folks were undocumented immigrants, and we would have to give them a ride home. And I would ask them, I said, they, they don't have car keys, no, and they don't drive, and they don't leave their house unless they have to go to work. They live in hiding that reason. And I thought, wow, because for me, unfortunately, I was born on this side of this arbitrary border, and English was my first language, and, and so on, but yet, through my own identity, I'm able to see that closets exist all the time just like that, where people are made to hide whatever it is, whatever it is about the background, the family life, all of these things we hide. It's that we have a mental health condition. Um, it's taken me just until early this year to begin seeing a therapist for a lot of things, and it's hard for me often to tell it to so closets exist all the time for all kinds of reasons. And like I say, they're deeply traumatic, they're damaging, and they limit us. This is not what God created us to do. So one time there was a guy um, who a community was really afraid of. For whatever reason, they didn't like him, they were afraid of him. And so they chained him up inside of a cave, and they said he had demons. Jesus was walking along and the man came out of the cave and he was yelling at Jesus and Jesus and uh, the people with Jesus were really afraid and they said he's got like a ton of demons in him and so Jesus went and started talking to him and said who are you and the man said I'm legion I'm legion I have so many de demons that it's just like this legion of demons within me and so Jesus healed him cast out the demons and healed him and uh the chains fell off and the man was able to go into the community and celebrate. I wonder what that experience was like for people to see him come. Um, I think that people could have done the work that Jesus was doing. I think that that's why Jesus came is because God, the creator, was like, you're not doing what you're supposed to do, so I'm going to come and show you one more time what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to heal people and set them free and take these closets down. Like literally, he was hiding in a closet in a cave that he was forced into. And so when you said like the world that you live in is one that doesn't have closets, and I immediately, when you said it in the last service, I immediately thought of that story. Like, oh man, no, that is what Jesus was about. And then so I started trying to confirm it. And they're just story after story after story of Jesus like breaking down and like, I say sometimes the sound of freedom is the sound of chains hitting the ground. And we all have chains, but sometimes because of who we are, we're able to keep other people in chains. And they don't need to be, there's no reason to be afraid. Um, you didn't say it this time, because I think I pointed it out to you last time, and you were like, oh yeah, but uh, in the first service, you were telling the story of Mayor Pete, who's running for president. Tells a story that at one point in his life, if he could have cut out of his body whatever it is that made him gay, he would have done. And then you said that you would pray and pray and pray, God, take this thing, tear it out of me, whatever it is. And you and then you finished that bit of your talk with the problem is that didn't happen. And I'm gonna tell you again because I want everybody to hear this and I want you to know this. I mean it from the bottom of that's not a problem. You are whole, and you are created by God exactly as you are, and the God that I worship loves you. 
and that's like flaws and all, you know, like the real problems you have, God even loves you with those. And so, Abraham, thank you for your courage. Thank you for being here. Thank you for challenging us. Thank you for inviting us into relationship with you. Would you all please uh, go talk to him after the service? And if you're interested in knowing him more and letting him get to know you more, please like write down your contact information and just get ready. Um, You'll be you'll be a different person after having conversations with him, as we should be with anybody, right? So thank you very much. I know it's not the first Sunday of the month, but we uh, I don't know about you, 